This podcast delivered by Australia Post. Whatever you're sending, they make it easy to pay and print your shipping labels from anywhere. And if you're in a metro area, they can come and pick up your parcels with My Post Business. Find out more and go to ozpost.com.au slash podcast. Australia Post. They put everything behind your business. Now, time for the show. Hello, you're listening to the Devils and Details podcast from Business Insider Australia. I'm your host, David Scott, filling in for Paul Colgan, who is away on business. And with my boss away, the subordinate will play, and we're going to have a lot of fun this week with plenty of juicy topics to discuss about financial markets. Uh, it's been a big week in more ways than one. Um, joining me on the show this week, uh, we have a guest who needs no introduction. He's been a regular on the show since we started last year, James Whelan, Investment Manager at VFS Group. James, welcome back to the show. Always great to be here, David. Thank you so much for the invitation. Fantastic. And uh, making his debut on Devils and Details is uh, Peter Morgan, a private investor and someone I'm sure that everyone in the Australian financial uh, landscape will know well of. Peter, welcome to the show. Hello, David. Now, uh, look... Boys, first and foremost, it's the start of the quarter. How has your week been so far? I know from my perspective, it's been absolutely hectic with the amount of uh, data releases out. So how's, uh, how's your week been traveling? We've been taking the tail off the, uh, the, the end of the first quarter from March um, and, and what a quarter it absolutely was, uh, trying to ease our way gently into April. Um, it's been a funny week for a lot of data, a lot of data dump uh, that, that, that's come through. Um, bit of a thing overnight. Uh, this sort of just sort of caught, caught us a little bit sideways on this. Uh, it's been a funny Thursday that we've had here today. So, but uh, Peter, I reckon you've probably got a better insight into what that side is. Oh, look, mate. I think you know the the biggest thing this week's been the uh, the interest in the housing market and uh, you know the ongoing strength uh, in the overseas US markets with with not a lot of volatility you know occurring. And I mean. Nothing's changed for you know for two or three years with regards to risk pricing, and it's you know there's not much more to say than that. It's you know, and off we go. It's very interesting overnight with the uh, the big sell off we saw in the uh, the US uh, market. Not large in terms of scale. Uh, stocks only finished down uh, marginally on the day, but they were up quite a lot earlier in the session. You know, any any clues as to what was driving that? I know a few people were talking about the Fed discussing uh, shrinking the size of their balance sheet by the end of this year was uh, getting a bit people a few nervous. Well, the markets are due for a correction, David. I mean, I think the most amazing thing is the 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 movement on a night to night basis over there. I mean. You know, simplistically, it feels like it wants to go up, and and it has done that, but it hasn't taken a big reversal for for a little while now. And as I said, there's a lot of there's there's, there's a lot of bullishness around wherever you look. You know, interest rates are very low, risk pricing is very low, and the Trump trade's very high. Um, but it's you know, it's just it's it's just very very calm. It is very calm. Now, I'm glad you mentioned property because uh, that's uh, something that we'll be definitely discussing on the other uh, podcast this week, um, even more than normal. If uh, we're seeing plenty of uh, people discussing the uh, what's been happening, the prices uh, continuing to soar, particularly in Sydney and Melbourne. Um, aside from the housing side of things, we'll also discuss the stock market uh, in Australia, looking specifically at uh, the banks and also what's going on with retailers from the entry of uh, Amazon into the marketplace. Um, we're also going to have a, a bit of a deep dive into uh, to the current state of the Australian economy, in particular the composition and uh, the perceived over-reliance of, uh, of finance and housing to go and drive the economy at the moment and perhaps a need for a government to step in to, uh, to go and coerce other areas of, uh, you know, that we can go and diversify into. Um, 
We'll also have a look at some of those markets, as uh, Peter was discussing, potentially that, uh, that are unloved and underveyed or things that are too richly priced and, and ready for a correction. And if we have time, we'll, uh, we'll go and have a look at uh, some of the grievances that we may have relating to the markets or otherwise for the week. So starting off, uh, let's go and discuss what everyone has been talking about in Australia this week, which is housing. And uh, as I said before, it's uh, even more so than normal. I'll give you a bit of a chronological order of what we've seen over the past week. We saw on Friday, APRA went and uh, announced tighter macroprudential measures to go and cool interest-only lending in the marketplace, which is obviously something that's highly favoured by housing investors. They've reduced the amount of, uh, of interest-only loans to 30% of all total mortgage debt that we can issue now. Um, following that decision, we then saw on Monday, CoreLogic released their, uh, their updated uh, home value index for March, uh, revealing that uh, Sydney prices had gone up 19% in the past 12 months and 16% in Melbourne. One day later, the RBA came out with their rate decision and unsurprisingly, they were on hold. Uh, they made some very significant changes in their language towards the housing market in particular, one of which was that growth in household borrowing, largely purchased housing, continues to outpace growth in household income. They also said that growth in rents is the slowest for two decades. Now, I follow the central bank fairly closely. To me, that sounded exactly like they were very concerned about a bit of speculation in the housing market. And then later that evening, on, on Tuesday evening, Philip Lowe, RBA governor, came out and delivered a speech to a, a board dinner in Melbourne. And on the housing debt growing faster than income, he said that the concern is that the longer the recent trend continues, the greater the risk the future health of the Australian economy. Stretch balance sheets make for more volatility when things turn down. Now, we're all experienced in the market. We know that when you put leverage into, uh, into an asset, you can go and maximise uh, no upside and also downside. Now, I just wanted to go and get your views. Uh, I might start with you, Peter, in relation to will the macroprudential measures introduced by APRA actually succeed in helping to go and minimise risks in the housing market? Short term, they probably will. I think, uh, you know, just in, in summary from what you've said there, the big question is... Are the moves from regulators too little, too late? Um, you know, we're talking about, with interest only, we're talking about half a trillion dollars out of $1.3 trillion in terms of the total book. Um, you talked about the Sydney market, you know, up 20% in a year. I mean, reverse that, what would the headlines be like and what would the market be like if prices go back to where they started last year, i.e. down down 22%? Um the other thing, the other things to keep in mind and never forget is that most of the housing books in Australia are, are variable-based um, housing books. Interest rates have never been lower. Uh, sure, the banks have lifted them a touch. Um, this is not the US where the, the majority of lending's fixed. Um, additionally, um, banks, to a large extent, um, focus more on loan-to-valuation ratios. When you get a Sydney market go up by 20%, obviously the, the loan-to-valuation ratio on a short period of time ratchets, ratchets up on the back of it. Um, you know, so personally, I think we're showing all the signs of what happened in the US. We may well be around about, you know, November 2006. We're not quite there yet, but for God's sake, something has to be done. I mean... I mean, the, the biggest defence that the, um, the the housing bulls play at the moment is with regards to supply. Um, nowhere can I find a figure in terms of actual units 
as to what the supply shortage is in the Sydney and Melbourne markets. Um, obviously, you've also had uh, you know immigration and uh, population growth has played its part previously, but as I said, is that stopping going forward? Um, the Chinese uh, foreign investors played their part, despite all the rhetoric coming out of Beijing with regards to um, uh, you know foreign foreign currency movements. And added to all that, the biggest exposure in superannuation funds uh, with regards to an Australian exposure is the Australian banks. Um, you're talking at least uh, you know 20% uh, just in the majors there, if not 25. Um, you've got two trillion in super. Um, financial services or financial you know exposure to the to the benchmark itself is up near 50%. The leverage is enormous and. The more the regulators fiddle and don't, you know, don't do something hard, um, the more dangerous it is going to become. Now, I started in the markets in um, um, June 1987. Um, there was an it was an asset bubble going on there. You had the entrepreneurs such as Alan Bond and Christopher Scase and uh, dominating markets. One bank survived that whole issue, and it was the National Australia Bank led by Nobby Clark, who lent money based upon cash flow and earnings. The rest predominantly lent based upon asset pricing, which is somewhat similar um, to what's going on today. You know, everyone says, you know, Bondi and Scacy were crooks. Uh, they, you know, you, you can form your own va- view with regards to that, but the the, the assets they actually bought, uh, whether they be TV stations or brewing assets were actually hard assets. The valuations were totally wrong. And the same argument, you know, in a, in a crude sense, I could put, put to, to a lot of people today. But, but, but you've also got to remember that housing is a liquid. It's not going to move, it's not going to move overnight, but when it moves, it's going to be like a brick hitting, hitting, you know, hitting, hitting the water. It's of going course, to be pretty hard. Of course, because you've got the, uh, the valuations are determined over a fraction of turnover of the total housing stock, and that's what gives you the valuation uh, of what the market is. So, of course, if you did have a, in a situation where prices were to go and fall rapidly uh, and then liquidity in that marketplace dries up, you could find that those asset values could be uh, significantly lower than what they actually are. And sentiment could be completely the different. You know, it's a very, very bullish sentiment in property at the moment. I mean, you've only got to look at the auctions every week. You know, there's... So many turning up, you don't know. You know. No one can give you a figure on how many, uh, what the average ownership in terms of uh, an individual is with regards to investment properties. You know, the politicians are all over investment properties. It's everywhere. I mean, the signs are all there. I honestly hope I'm. You know, I honestly hope I'm wrong on it. You know, at the end of the day, the taxpayer, if it all goes pear shaped, will be picking up the tab. And I was there in 1990, 91 when credit growth went backwards for a period of uh, about eighteen months. Westpac and ANZ were out the back door. Um, it's all very well, like the headlines say today, that the banks should raise capital. Well, if they, the regulators think they should be raising capital, it should be done straight away today in a, in a firmish equity market, rather than rather than doing it uh, doing it later on when it when it has to be done. Yeah, the worst time to do it is 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 when it's too late. The the it's funny that you mentioned the U.S. market on that one. There's 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 two things. On that one, first off, anecdotally, uh, you mentioned uh, the auction, uh, the auction market in Sydney, and and that amazing story that came out about the fellow who was bidding, had a heart attack, uh, was was brought back, kept bidding, and still lost the auction. Uh, <laughs> so, 
Yes, that's uh, that's that's not too far away from where I live, actually. Uh, we, well, I, you, you I, can see that forming part of a movie like The Big Short if it does go pear yeah, shaped. Uh, so, uh, you, uh, and you can see a lot of big short, uh, big short similarities. That's going. The, the, the one key one that I want to be aware of, and, and as someone who was who was um, you know commentating and, and following it very closely in the lead up on the GFC in the US, uh, and was trying to follow it very closely, is the difference between us and the US is is based on the recourse of the loan. Um, and in the US, in, in the lead up to that correction that was there, was was simply you only borrow for the house. You don't borrow for the rest of you. When I borrow for the bank, as as we've joked before, the Commonwealth Bank basically owns me right now. I owe them a lot of figures. So if they want to come and take my thumbs, and and not that they will, but that's you know jokingly said, um, that's that, that's going to be it. That's pretty much my, my 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 entire life is 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 indebted to the bank. In the US, uh, in the in the lead up to that, you only borrow for the house. So. Um, when it came time to, you know what, it's a liquid, I'm not going to be able to shift it, it's lost any of the value that I ever thought that I would ever have in it, it was keys in the letterbox and off you go in the middle of the night. And and that was how the US thing sort of fell over. I would like to think that our market has some sort of a stability and some sort of a floor under it purely because you can't just walk away. I can't just walk away from, for, from what's – and – that that's that's pretty much it. The fact that the, the fact that people are tied to it in more than it's just the value of the house is is I hope going to put some sort of a some sort of a floor under anything that does potentially touch wood because I really hope it doesn't because as I said, the Commonwealth Bank uh, will will own me. The I think you're right. Sorry to interrupt. I, I do think you're right that uh, we're seeing that a lot of people are paying uh, paying back. Uh, more than what they need to on their variable mortgage rates at the moment. Yeah, hold on, that's variable though. We're talking about five hundred, you know, five hundred billion dollars of interest only. That that doesn't make that doesn't really make a dent in that at all. No, it's not. But it's just the inherent uh, that the Australians value their property, particularly their primary residences, like you no know, something that they want to go and hang on to. And I think that's just the the, the behaviour from that side of, of that respect tells me that there's uh, there's people want to go and make sure that they have that security and, and make sure that I uh, know they keep that house. Owner occupied, maybe. I'm looking forward to watching the investment market plates. Definitely. So, James, in terms of this 30% uh, and a cap of, uh, of new mortgage debt that can be issued as interest only, do you think that's going to go and solve you know, the financial stability risks in the marketplace? Uh, it's entirely possible that it will do so. I, I think that it could be some things that are being done. Maybe it's at the right time. You'd think that it was a, a little bit late. The fact is... Now let's run through this for the, for the let's let's talk it through for the for the common man at home and and woman and listener at home. What does it actually mean? What does it mean? It means yeah. that I uh, know the banks are, are limited to the amount of uh, interest only loans they can go and issue. Let me tell you. Let me tell you a thing. The banks, some of the banks, and maybe they have changed this recently, but don't actually know what their numbers are. Now that's 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 a flagrant comment that's been put out there, but I. I've there's been there's been things that have been said and things have been written that either a their books are so mixed up and muddled up by takeovers and moves and things have, have switched that they're not sure what their percentages are, and the second one that, that that's been put out is potentially you you go as an owner occupier and in actual fact we all know that it is an investment property. Well, we've seen that there's some evidence of that already in the RBA housing credit figures that have come out, and we've seen that uh, I think over 50 billion worth of mortgages that were previously classified as uh, as investor loans are actually now being classified as own occupier loans, which I find remarkable in itself. 
That is a great stat there, David. One brand low point for you. (laughs) Fair enough. So just going off the tone of the general discussion, and you guys are experts in your field, um, it doesn't sound like the the future's all that rosy for the banking sector in Australia at the moment. Would you agree with that or disagree? Well, let me put it another way. I think the risk... the risky spay for the banking sectors is very high. And as I said, you know, with regards to property, with regards to banking, it's it's very hard to ring a bell, um, as we've seen with the, the players that have tried to go short the Australian banks. But let me also add to that. I was I was in the markets in 19, 1991. Westpac came out with a set of the results. They were audited. Westpac was gone four or five months later. Now, when it happens, it happens, and I'm not saying it's going to happen. The one thing I'm trying to say is I don't want to ever see it happen again. Um, The other thing we haven't talked about, um, there's roughly um, a million people working in construction uh, in the Australian marketplace at the moment. The leverage throughout the system with regards to housing, just not direct, um, indirectly, is enormous. you know, everyone quotes that, uh, you know, Perth, Adelaide and outside Sydney and Melbourne haven't moved. Well, the fact is they could actually be lower. Uh, to say they haven't moved actually doesn't mean a lot. Um, in real terms, I think you find a lot of those places have actually have gone. Like, I know that in, in real terms, most of the other capital cities have gone backwards. In, in Slightly, yes. slightly, slightly. Um, but again, a lot of the aggregate, a lot of the figures in Australia are aggregated. Um, and... There's a, there's a figure that's often quoted, um, uh, the uh, income over um, uh, income over interest in Australia. Now that's an aggregated figure. Like that could, you know, that could include James Packer covering four or five. And, 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 and if you're using that figure, you're assuming that, that you know, I'm sorry to use James's name, but you're assuming someone wealthy is going to step in, um, which is almost the reverse of what. Uh, you know, James was saying with regards to throwing the keys back, which again, I'm not. That actually hasn't really been tested in Australia. You know, I'm not sure how. You know, I don't know how many assets you've got, but um, at the end of the day, you know, there are bankruptcy laws and, and the like. You know, at some day, you know, the some some day the banks want to go forward, they have to write off all the bad debts that they do accrue. So and that's that 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 is the catch twenty two that the banks are currently in on these ones of of that they want to be loaning because that's where the the margin is on doing things. You, you borrow short and you you lend long. Um, you want to have that net interest margin. You want to make that money because that's that's why people are investing and that's how you manage to pay all these people. But you don't want to be holding all of this property if something goes wrong. Uh, CBA is fine. I keep using CBA, but I won't. The banks are fine owning, you know, having mortgage over Sydney property, but they don't want to be holding, and we, we've talked about this before with our clients that hold three investment properties in the outskirts of Perth that they have not been able to shift or fill uh, uh, when the when the mining boom ended, that's what that's what they're left with, and so they've got them. Now, usually, the bank would just come in and take them over, but the, the bank doesn't want these places, right? So they've got to keep on perpetuating themselves. They've got to keep on loaning, but they don't want what happens if all of a sudden the music stops, because then all of a sudden you're going to get you know the biggest banks in Australia being the biggest housing property owners, and there's actually no one to sit in those places. It doesn't work if that happens. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's something that's going to be uh, topical for some time yet. I don't think it's, this, uh, this debate is going to go away anytime soon. 
we haven't even touched on the uh, on the housing affordability side of things today. But as you can tell, there's uh, there's a lot of a uh, lot of views out there. Uh, I noticed today that uh, the talk about uh, bank capital raisings has increased again in uh, in the press that I've seen uh, written today. So uh, something to go and look out for as well, particularly if you're a shareholder. Um, that topic leads us nicely into our, our next area, which is the over-reliance of the Australian economy on finance and the mining sector in particular. Um, I noticed that, uh, that the Australian government uh, came out with their innovation uh, statements last year and looking to go in, in, in more high-tech industries and the like. I'm just wondering, do you think that uh, is there... A is the government doing enough to go and foster diversity uh, in the economies, or are we just simply too in the basket of houses and holes, as, as we've been referred to, and that puts it at even greater risk? Look, it's all right to come out with an ideas boom and say you could have an ideas boom. You want something more around it. I mean, it's wherever you look, the, the skew is towards property and mining. I mean, if you look at the share market, that's what's moving the share market every day of the week. Um, but then you've got to go back another step. I mean, if you go back to education, the lack of... The lack of programming or the lack of coding in Australia, I would have thought was a big issue. Um, the lack of, in a lot of, in a lot of ways, it's good to be conservative and it's, and it's good to be defensive, but um, particularly in those two sectors, those two cyclical sectors. But um, you know, I often wonder, um, you know, whether Uber, um, Airbnb, um, all of them, would have ever had the opportunity to start up. In Australia, uh, for, for for any reasons, and, and ever ever got off the ground, and I, you know, I'm, I'm willing to bet they wouldn't. And you know, you can't when you talk about technology as a shift in Australia or anything like that. You can't build it from the top down. You have to build it from the bottom up. And uh, and I think that's one of the biggest problems in Australia at the moment. There is no there's no both parties, particularly more the libs now, seem to be more willing to buy votes rather than to encourage innovation. Uh, full stop. And uh, I mean, you've only got to look what's happening up in Queensland with regards to uh, 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 the Ardini mine. I mean, you know, if that's the best Australia can do in terms of trying to find jobs, well, you know, the kids are in a lot of trouble. And that's what really does worry me. It's not, you know, I'm, you know, I'm 50, 55, 55 and a half. You know, it's the kids that are going to be around, um, you know, for the next, the next 55 and a half years that I'd be worried about. James, do you think the politicians could do more to go and foster it? other industries in this country? Well, uh, the, the, the answer to that question is a very easy and obvious yes, uh, uh, and, and that that is one of the things that governments are supposed, to be, are supposed to be doing and working towards to make sure that we've got a more diverse economy, make sure that we're not as leveraged to the sheep's back to digging iron ore out and hoping that China buys it from us at the right price and then budgeting for the right price and hoping that you keep that right price for the next 12 months, otherwise your budget's going to be starved. What do, you, what do you think is the reason that's holding the, the politicians back from going and, and trying to go and, uh, and, and build out other industries? The answer for that question is, is, is going to go into the depths of, of the leadership that's, that's shown, the unity and support that they've got from caucus. It, 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 th that, that question is answered based on who's in charge and what sort of a person is there. And go back, what happened in – you want to go back to the 80s? You want to talk about Hawke, Keating? Taking, you know, bringing in some some big changes, some big things that needed to be done, and I'm not I'm not from that side of the fence, but you can absolutely look back and just say, doing things that absolutely needed to be done, um, working with the right people, that that's what helped Australia sort of get that next leg through in our economy. And Peter's going to be the guy that I'm going to turn to on this one, and hopefully he's agreeing with me on this one, but. 
He's looking at me very strangely, so I think I'll just. I might just leave it out there. Oh, so, no, no, no. Well, I think I think the thing, well, you know, it's like, in, in some ways, it's like a state of origin football game. You know, what happened in the aftermath of ninety ninety one had to happen. It, it just had to happen. It, it, Australia had to dig itself out of a hole. And you know, I, as I said, I don't want to see that ever happen again. But you know, and I'm not even sure the politicians have to get involved that much. You know, they've just got to give a setting that is. That is consistent. That they're not going to muddle, you know. The you know the way one week to to the next. Um, the debate in Australia is just, you know, you, I've just been overseas for a month in the states, and I mean, it's just honestly, it's times you don't really feel like coming back. You know, I love Australia, but it's just, <laughs> you know, the first thing you read about is you know deals done being done with you know with with one nation, and they all seem to be desperate deals. And I mean, everything seems desperate. I mean, it's just desperate to survive. You know, it's it's the same with baby boomers. You know the the generation, you know, the, the, even us. I mean, it's all based around money and, and looking after ourselves. There's no thought to what's coming next. I mean, it's just it's, it's terrible. If if anything, the responsibility of the government should be, and this is a soapbox, and I'm, I'm sorry about this, but the, the responsibility of the government should be to set it so they don't have to do too much and just and just stand back and let what can happen happen. Uh, and have they done that this time? It seems like they've been trying to force a certain direction that doesn't want to be that doesn't want to be directed yes of course a lot of the uh, innovation uh, that they've been pushing forward has also been well established in a lot of other countries for a lot of time uh, so you're, you're basically you know fighting something that's uh, that's already begun and it's got a foothold in a lot of other countries as well well, you are, but that's not, that's not, you know, you don't give up on that. I mean, oh, I, no, mean, of course not. No, but you, I mean, but you look at the success stories. I mean, you look at, there are success stories. You look at CSL, you look at Cochlear as examples. And Australia can do that. I mean, I mean, medically we've done it. I mean, we've all actually got a finance industry there that the problem with the finance industry at the moment is it's too Australia centric. There's no reason why Australian fund managers, whether they're care, or, um, you know, Care Nielsen or the Magellan guys leading by example, there's no way, there's no reason why Australian fund managers can't manage money overseas. Um, and there's plenty of examples in different industries like that. I mean, you know, the biggest thing that's happening around the world at the moment that I've noted is the move towards artificial intelligence and, and, and automation. And for God's sake, Australia, I don't even think Australia could, it could spell artificial intelligence, let alone use any intelligence with regards to it. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just off the, and we'll come to Amazon in a minute. It's just, it's just a non-event, oh, and it's just. And the other thing, I think, the other thing that's happening here more, but is happening around the world, is people are af- afraid to speak out. I mean, they're either going to speak out extreme left or extreme right, but there's no one willing to sp- you know, speak out. And and the, and the control of lobbyists is is like I've often said that you know, universities should be operating uh, should be offering a, a lobbyist course in Australia. There's that many lobbyists <laughs> pushing the agenda around. The only ones that don't have don't have a lobby group. Are the kids between you know fifteen and thirty? It's 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 honestly it's all wrong. Um, at the, the the business debate, the political debate, it is just it is terrible. If there only was a, a simple solution to it all, uh, it would be wonderful. But I think this is another one of those debates where it perpetualises. Uh, just there's never a, never a simple answer, and of course, uh, you know, the clock is ticking uh, in relation to you know what we can actually do. I think a, a lot of the concern is, as as uh, you've touched on before, the construction side, the, the the financial side. How many people are employed in those two sectors, and how reliant upon they are on the other. Uh, if something was to go awry in those two uh, particular areas of the economy, uh, it's not going to end pretty. No, it's not. It's not going to end pretty. And uh, and there's two or three generations of kids today that, uh, 
probably you know James never saw the I don't know he's probably a lot younger than I am but Settle there's down. There's, a, <laughs> there's a lot there's a lot of people in the marketplaces today that have never seen a recession they just haven't they haven't seen a bad market and you know whether it happens tomorrow or whether it happens in five years time it will happen yeah well I think uh, anyone who's forty or under wouldn't have been an adult during the last uh, last recession in the country so and I'm and I'm happy to put it in. And I'll put it on the public record, and you know that I've got no hesitation putting things on the public record. I think that what going through a few things that have been said in the last in the last few minutes, I think that what Australia has done is purely postponed what the US has only just been able to pull itself out of. Um, there you go. That's your that's your piece. That's your soundbite. And in a couple of couple of years' time, you're going to need that because I, I think that I think that all we've done is just sort of prolong an okay. But we haven't actually been able to build for what's next, and 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 that's where we're in for a little bit of trouble. With regards to the US, uh, you mentioned there was how many million a million jobs in construction attached to Australian housing. Um, uh, sorry, a million Australian. Yeah, yeah, a, a million in Australia. Twelve and a half. That's uh, and comparing that to the US, and I remember some numbers before before the US correction, and we come back to the to, to the uh, you know the inevitable US correction that happened when you were watching in two thousand and six. Um, was 50% of jobs were in the US were were in some way connected to the housing industry um, over that. The more and more leverage that we get to that, then the more and more leveraged uh, we are going to be to some sort of correction uh, and and recession recessionary sort of issue that that takes place. The same way that we were super leveraged to uh, the mining boom, and then that hit a bit of a wall, and a lot of people lost a lot. And obviously, a lot, lot less proportion of the uh, the population as well in that instance. So um, yeah, look, it's a uh, it's all been very, uh, very uh, sort of dire and uh, a bit dark the podcast so far. So we're, we're going to go and uh, and lighten the mood and talk about something which uh, has also been topical the last week or so, and uh, is probably going to make a lot of people happy. Is that the uh, the Australian stock market is uh, it's broken uh, broken to multi year highs. Uh, Last week we saw it, uh, the ASX 200 busted through 5833 points and uh, now seems to be on track or, or pushing towards the 6,000 point. Um, just want to go and get your opinions. You guys are both experts in this field. Uh, we've seen the move basically uh, come out of nowhere. Valuations where they are at the moment, is the stock market too richly priced or is there still further upside to come? Well, you've got to, again, Dave, you've got to remember that the stock market's been driven effectively by two sectors. It's mining and banking and they're both very cyclical. Um, there is a, you know, there is some follow through from the US with regards to the Trump effect. Um, but, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's basically a view on those two sectors. Now, you know, the banks had been sold off prior prior to it. Um, you know, CBA was down to, you know, I think on the day Trump was elected, CBA got down to 68 or 67. It's now, the figures are almost reversed, I think 86. Um, so it's had a big move. Um, I think you've got to remember, if a foreigner wants to buy the Australian market, the biggest, you know, obviously the biggest sector is banking and the biggest stock CBA. So every futures contract's got, a, you know, a heavy, a heavy skew. So... You talk about valuation. The valuation of a bank at the moment is not reflecting any real write-off for a bad debt. Um, you've still got the banks, whichever way you measure it, returning on equity between 13 and 15 percent, if that's the right if that's the right measure in terms of the equity figure. And then, if you look at mining, you've seen the the kick up in commodity prices, um, and you've seen companies like. Fourteen months ago, you could have bought you could have bought S thirty two at 
you know, under a buck. Uh, today it's two dollars seventy. Um, it's one with no debt. Um, you know, BHP's kicked, but it's still carrying the. I think it's carrying a management discount uh, for the past uh, errors, uh, which might be worth looking at on a, at a you know if it does bomb out again, but. As I said, I'm not really answering your question. You're asking me about, you know, why the market's kicked. It's kicked for those reasons. You know, how in terms of valuations? Well, you're valuing companies that are cyclical. It's the reverse of the US, which has been led by tech, um, which are obviously growth. Um, and I actually think that may well be an area. I mean, are we in the last sort of uh, the last kick up and things like Amazon and Facebook? Um, you know, Amazon's not far away from being a trillion dollar company, uh, as is Apple. Um, and you know they're not. There's still there's still a lot of you know still a lot of promise in them with regards to earnings. You know Tesla's another one that's you know it's all right to have a you know have a big big valuation and a, you know a, a few more cars being spat out, but it's still it's still got to deliver with regards to profitability. And uh, so it's a little bit different. Um, again, I've taken it down to slash your wrist sort of stuff, I suppose. But <laughs> but I'm just saying you ask no, a question. I mean it's just you know the market's kicked. You know what what takes it forward? All the banks and mining got to take it forward again. I mean, it's um, if it's going to go forward, can yeah. they can they drive that, James? It's knocked on the door of six thousand three times. So we're talking about the ASX two hundred here, and, and no charts in front of me, so I'm winging it a little bit blindly on this. But the the market has knocked on the door three times for six thousand, and, and they say that when it goes through, for the, you know, when it knocks on the third time, that should go through. I personally am not of uh, of that favour. I think that if it's going to have, if it's going to go through that number. Um, it needs both banks and mining to be on board with this because that's pretty much our market. You, you got that spot on there, Peter. Um, and and it's good that I say the same thing that someone with such experience in the market says on there. So uh, I've, I think I've learned a lot from you there. The the that that when it, we, we need we need yeah we, you need both of those things to be um, to to be on board for it to, to to go through and charge through. We didn't get our new high. The the US got new highs in all of its indexes. Um, including the Nasdaq, and the Nasdaq does keep on going. We didn't, we didn't really get that. We've, we, we've managed to struggle back up to six thousand, and weekly, not even think about knocking on the door lately. And this has been a very good, a very good month. It's been a very good few, few weeks for us. Where's our, where's our breakthrough? Where's our massive new high? Where's our, where's our, where's our incredibleness? Perhaps it'll come from the retailers. And Peter, I'm glad you mentioned Amazon because uh, that's uh, that's something we're going to touch on uh, very briefly here. Um, James, you've uh, you've been talking about Amazon's arrival in the Australian uh, landscape, retail landscape, for quite a period of time now, and the potential ramifications for the Australian-based retailers. Um, has your view changed in relation to you know what potential damage you could go and do to the retailing sector? Uh, the only way that my view has changed is that I think that the retailers, especially the big end of town, have become aware that they can't just bury their head in the sand and they can't just go and, and, and go and curl up in the corner and think that this Amazon thing is going to go away. They've realised that they've actually got to take some action to not to try and compete with it because that is that is almost death, but probably try and partner with it um, as best as they can and probably try and come up with solutions that how do they maximise value. Amazon is good at at the things that Amazon decides to do, um, except for making phones, is one of the is one of the few exceptions <laughs> to, that, to, to, to the rule of them being able to do things. The one thing, that, and, and they will openly admit that, that they don't do phones very well, uh, but everything else they do exceedingly well um, when it comes to uh, web services. So, so basically, building a cloud out of nothing. When it comes to delivery, uh, online services, 
uh, you name it, that they they just are good at what they do. Um, and I think that, that, that the big retailers, with the exception of one big retailer, uh, that the big retailers uh, have, have realised that they've probably have got to either try and do what they do better and maximise the value that they add or try and try and work with them as best as possible on that side. Peter, how about yourself? Would you, uh, would you go and add to retail uh, exposure or would you go and buy retail uh, at the moment mm. uh, given the entrance of uh, Amazon? I wouldn't buy retail or the two big retailers based upon valuation. Um, very, very simplistically, I think the big, the big thing with Amazon is whether the elephant wants to come and play in this park. I mean, it's Australia's still a long way to come if they want to... <clears throat> They want to throw it, you know, want to roll the dice. Um, I don't think they should build complacency. I think it's not only the retailers, but Australia is so far behind in terms of technology, um, with probably the exception of the banks um, in, in a lot of industries, that it's it's just not funny anymore. Um, but having said that, the other thing that's sort of off the, off the radar, as I tried to allude to before, is Amazon's an exceptionally large company now. It's a trillion dollars, and... And this is only a small anecdote. You know, they're starting to diversify into a lot of areas. Um, you know, I was over in the States and, of all people, I was listening to Garth Brooks and... Uh, <laughs> um, Very nice. And, you know, but, but he's just signed a deal with Amazon now. Um, and he signed, you know, he signed, from what I can work out, a very good deal with Amazon. And Amazon's using him as their, um, you know, front man um, into, into music streaming. And... It's interesting to watch them both talk. Um, I came away f- from that thinking that you know Garth is not a he's not a dumb bloke, and I actually thought he's got the better end of the, the deal, and he's he sold himself out. He's had 140 hit, 40, uh, 40 number one hits, and that sort of thing. And he's you know f- even as a fund manager, you think that's you know you're getting out at the top and at the right time. And I'm just all I'm suggesting there is maybe Amazon's starting to spread themselves too thin. Um, in a lot of areas with a very, very big valuation and not much profit behind it. Okay, very interesting. Look, uh, we're getting towards the end of the show. One thing I just wanted to go and ask you both, um, and not necessarily in Australia, but uh, just more broadly across the global markets, are there any particular markets or asset classes that you're looking at at the moment uh, that you think are undervalued or overvalued? I know, James, you had a a couple of uh, interesting ideas in relation to uh, both the UK and also Europe, uh, particularly in the lead-up to uh, the French presidential election that we've got uh, coming up in two weeks' time. Well, maybe it's maybe it's us trying to replicate the trade that we did on the U.S. banks in the lead up to the Donald Trump um, election that was there. But we're we're currently looking at France and looking at France very uh, very well. And you noticed that I said that twice. We said France and France as well. So that's just for something for everyone. You've covered all bases there. Covered all bases there, so I don't get called out for either a bogan or a snob. So (laughs) the or both actually. So we are looking at France very very closely there. We think that money is sitting on the sideline from Europe in general. Um, with regards to the US, and it's waiting for a catalyst when all of a sudden the Europe, uh, the European market becomes investable, um, and that catalyst is is going to be in the polling results for uh, Macron versus Le Pen, with regards to what's going on in the French election. We like banks. We like we like banks when it comes to not Australian banks, as as you know that I've been saying for the last year and a half. Um, we, we, we did like US banks. We, we do like French banks now. Things like, not to name, not to give any personal advice, obviously general, but, you know, things like uh, BNP Paribas, uh, Credit Agricole, um, uh, potentially Socgen, um, but, but, but those two first ones are ones we're looking at closely. That, and 
it's the polling results that are coming through. And when it's actually done and Macron, touch wood, does win um, in the in the second round when he gets the runoff uh, sometime in May, I'm just trying to think about the dates on this one, it's just not in front of me at the moment, that um, we think that, that, that France becomes very investable and that any money that's been trickling into it now is going to continue and that's going to be the next ramp up for France. Yes, I know. Obviously, you've got to go and treat every sort of poll and uh, and everything with a bit of grain of salt, uh, given what we've seen over the past uh, past 12 months. But I think last time I saw uh, Macron was uh, had about a 64% probability of, uh, of winning uh, based off the current polling. Obviously, the French go to the, uh, the polls twice. They have a runoff election uh, two weeks after the first. Yeah. Um, Le Pen, I think, is, is currently sitting around about 25% uh, probability. So... It's uh, obviously leaning towards a Macron victory. And, and what, what we like is, is the fact that when it came to Brexit and Trump, that they were both inside that 5% error margin that people gave those polling results. Um, Macron is, is, is well and truly away from that 5% error margin that's there. And keep in mind also that when it comes to polling, uh, the Dutch elections had it perfect, right? So there's no shock factor. There's no 2016 factor that's going in anymore. And that was the, the 2016 effect. Um, you know, whatever it was, that was that. Um, the, the, the polls just got it wrong. We think that, we think that they're right in this, in this occasion. Okay. Uh, how about you, Peter? Is there anything that's, uh, that's caught your eyes being undervalued or, 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 or too richly well, priced? Let, let me just, let me just roll it back a step. I'm no longer a fund manager, so I don't have to be in the market every day. Um, I can swing probably four or five times a year. Um, I like being where the, the herd isn't as long as there's, there's not a lot of debt and there's not a lot of – and there's some structure there with regards to what I'm looking at. Um, again, the slash the risk sort of stuff, the one thing you don't hear a lot of people talk about is capital preservation. Interest rates have never been lower. Um, so your marginal return isn't that great. Anything that's large in terms of a marginal return means that your risk pri- profile is is higher. I haven't got a Perth property as an example, but with the, that's one area that maybe is worth a look. Just because it's down and out, I'm not saying go and do it. But you know, if you were to ask me of you know where I'd start thinking about looking. Um, it's where the cyclical lows are. Now, that's probably a stupid thing for me to say, but, you know, I'm not – I haven't really bought anything over the last – you know, over the last, you know, sure, I've missed a kick in the market, but um, I'm not trying to talk up the Perth property market. It just looks like it's been on its knees. If you – you know, obviously, if interest rates do go up and the, the whole world ends with regards to property, it's, it's, it's not great, but um, – I'm probably going to regret saying that, just saying that. But you know, no, it's, hard, I, I, it's, I, it's hard to come up with an idea. I mean, there is, you know, you've seen a hell of a lot of listed investment companies come to the market over the last, which you obviously see in a strong market over the last eighteen months. The only thing I've really, really been buying in the last, as I said, in the last, uh, you know, three months or so, is one of the listed investment companies that's trading at about a fifteen percent. Um, discount to NTA with um, you know very good transparency with regards to its portfolio in the in the major stocks. So, I mean, I'm not saying you run rush out to the Perth property market and have a go, but I'm just saying that you know I think one thing that is getting underplayed a little bit with regards to um, commodities is the commodity prices have have jumped a bit and um, the sentiment away indirectly away from that has been. Know, still pretty sour. Yeah. So you're a sentiment. You're a sentiment guy, and sentiment does actually count for a lot. What do you think is the is the bigger bottom pick now? And you mentioned Perth property. Would you buy Perth property or Britain 
heading out of uh, heading heading uh, uh, Article Fifty One over the next two years. The thing that Article sca- Fifty, sorry, Article Fifty. The thing that scares me with regards to Britain is I think their banking uh, and property is a lot worse than than ourselves. Actually, um, as I said, you know. Uh, you know, I'm struggling just for for a rough idea of of where to look. I mean, I'm not, you know, I've got no intention of buying a Perth property, but I'm just saying it's just sort of like when I look, you know, conceptually, I look at you look at Sydney and Melbourne. You know, even now I'm starting to, you know, not really enjoy living in Sydney, given how hard it is to get around, how hard it is to get to the footy, the population growth. And I go down to Melbourne a lot. It's um, um, is much the same, although you can get to a footy game. And you think, you know, where where can the population in Australia go without going up the, you know, the cent, you know, the north, you know, the north of Australia? It, you know, I, I don't actually under, I don't understand. I've been to Perth a lot. I love it. I actually don't understand why it doesn't do better, and the cyclicality doesn't get out of it. And, you know, I know that that probably doesn't make a lot of sense to a lot of people. And as I said, you know, interest rates are low and properties high around the country. I wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't be rushing into it. But that's a sort of, you know, the sort of thing I'm sort of interested in. There are the there are far worse places in the world to go and live than you know, in in Perth or in, or in Western Australia in general. Is uh, I think anyone who's been there, obviously we're we're based here in Sydney, uh, but it's uh, spectacular, and uh, I've always enjoyed myself when I'm in Perth. So look, uh, I think um, plenty of people out there are probably nodding with your suggestion there. So there's nothing wrong with <laughs> well, saying Perth. Rush out and well, do cer- it. well, certainly. Let's has- just wait till we get. Yeah. Let's get. Why don't we get a total cark out and we'll, we'll have a good go? <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll come. We'll um, we'll, we'll revisit this in, uh, in a year's time, of when course. When it's the home of Dennis Lilly, Lilly and Rod Marshall, it can't be that bad. Beers are expensive, uh, you know, but, but you know, you can watch the sunset with your expensive beer. Uh, you know, people <laughs> people are friendly, good-looking. They follow the right code of football. Well, a lot of South it's, Africans too, mate. They're all the, over there. They're always. fantastic. The rugby team's not that good, but it's better than Melbourne. But anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> fantastic. We might end it there on a cheery note. Uh, start, started uh, started uh, no, doom and gloom and with uh, some chuckles. So there we there we go. Uh, you'll be listening to the Devils and Details podcast from Business Inside Australia. Uh, this podcast can be found on iTunes where you can rate and leave us a review. Our guest this week have been James Wheeler. James, thanks for uh, coming back to Eyes of the Show. Fantastic, David. Thank you very much. And Peter, for a first-time performer, you did an absolutely outstanding job. We hope to come uh, hope you come back again. Thanks, David. I've enjoyed it, mate. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you to all, uh, all those out there listening. Uh, this show is produced by Rick Salter. Uh, we'll see you next week. Today's episode was delivered by Australia Post. They put everything behind your business, helping you save time and money. And with My Post Business, you can save at least 10% when you send on average five eligible parcels a week. Get more info and see the terms and conditions at auspost.com.au slash podcast. That's auspost.com.au slash podcast.